Seltzer Kings podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Oh, please, Gavin, like your dad didn't do artistic watercolors and charcoal etchings of your mom's flabby ass. The following podcast contains... Oh, what the f*** you do that for? Hey, that was... Don't swear. What are we? Werewolves, not swirls. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you opened that envelope of old Polaroids you found cleaning out your mom's closet, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host, Dave Bledsoe, and this is episode number 392, your parents' old Polaroids edition of the show, where we talk about the little camera that made the future we are trapped in possible, the Polaroid. Stay tuned. What the hell are you thinking? Podcast is brought to you by Analog Sanitizers. We find it so your kids don't have to. Let's face it, Generation X isn't getting any younger, and we all need to think about post-life planning. Part of this is what to do about all those little analog relics of youth that you can't bear to part with, but really don't want the kids to see. That's where Analog Sanitizers come in. Our discreet, efficient, and unobtrusive cleaners will comb through your home and segregate photos or videos that could be problematic. Once we've collected everything, we will mark out the material and provide your heirs with a sanitized summary of said material. At Analog Sanitizers, we believe no one should suffer the surprise of seeing their parents in flagrante delicto in their moment of grief. Analog Sanitizers, we all did things we regret, but there's no reason for the kids to see them. Polaroid's One Step is the world's simplest camera. It's America's biggest seller. You just press the button. Sharp, clear color develops in minutes. America's biggest seller, so you made it to the top. Well, the camera did. I just went along for the ride. I thought the one step was your idea. I made a few suggestions. The camera you never focus? No, they thought of that. The motor that hands you the picture? That was theirs, too. What did you do? Why don't you ask me about the little red button? Red? You thought of red? As a child, I suffered from a debilitating condition called parental persimony. What does that even mean? It means they were cheap. It wasn't their fault. They didn't come from money. They didn't make a lot of money during the early years of their marriage. And when we finally reached a point of financial stability, the habits were deeply ingrained. This is not to say we lacked for anything as children, at least nothing essential. But when it came to purchases, they felt that anything that caught less than the original was, you know. Good as the name brand stuff. No one needed Levi's 501s when the Wranglers at Kmart were just as good. Nike shoes. Why in the world would they pay for that when the ones that pay less covered your feet just the same? Electronics? There was no way they were paying Sony Walkman prices when the Realistic played the same damn tapes as the Walkman. And as an adult, I think we can all probably agree. That makes perfect sense. But as a teenager in the 1980s, all I can say is... That destroyed my life. Every kid in the 1980s lived for the latest in fashion, and I was no different. Now, look, I didn't want high fashion brands, the flashiest kicks. I just, I just wanted Levi's 501s and a decent black Sabbath t-shirt from Spencer's Gifts. Because you did not want to be that kid that showed up in an off-brand, because people were going to know. You should give it to somebody that don't know any better, because that's a fugazi. Huh? There are three places in the world you do not want to show up trying to pass off your fake shit as the real thing. 
a teller at the bank, a mafia fence, and the hallway of any high school in America. Get the fuck out of here with that shit. Okay. But my parents, being my parents, let's just say we always have the cheapest options, be it clothes, cars, or consumer electronics. This is probably why sometimes in the early 1980s, my family wound up with a Kodak instant camera. Kodak's got the instant camera you've been waiting for. Instant color photographs, that's what the handle's for. So carry on. Let yourself go. Grab onto the handle at a low, low price for dry, self-timing color pictures that happen in minutes, right before your eyes. Grab onto the handle and carry on. The handle, Kodak's newest and lowest-priced instant camera. The Kodak instant camera was an absurd block of camera, even by the standards of the time. Everything about it just screamed. This is a knockoff? of a Polaroid, which was the instant camera of the time. Sure, Kodak took photos that developed right out of the camera, but there was something about using it that just made saying cheese a little bitter because it always come out sounding like, I'd wear poor. Even if technically we were very much in the middle class. I can hear some of you asking, why would I bring any of this up? Why do you do anything you do? Well, the answer to both questions is, I need content. And so when I was looking for a show topic, I did my usual Googling and discovered that today, the day that this goes live, in 1986, Kodak officially left the instant camera market after losing a patent lawsuit to Polaroid. Why is that relevant today? It isn't, but it is a hook to talk about Polaroids in general and how they changed how we take pictures. Seems like a bit of a stretch. Well, it's like a Stretch Armstrong doll tied to two car bumpers. Some of you may know that I am a bit of a photography buff. Before I entered these shark-infested waters of low-rated podcasting, I pursued freelance photography for a living. How'd I go? Well, I'm podcasting now, so draw your own conclusions. What is relevant is I know a fair bit about the history of photography. I don't like the sound of that. Relax, it'll be quick and relatively painless. In 1826, the first true photograph was taken, but the process took rather a long time, like up to several days for one exposure which is only slightly less time than it feels like you experience while trying to get your toddler to sit still for a family photo. In 1839, Louis Daguerre introduced a process that took only minutes to expose and imprinted the image on a silvered, highly polished copper plate treated with chemicals. The images produced were finely detailed, and while fragile, they were portable and durable. Daguerre-type photos survived for over two centuries. We have them now. People are still doing them, though I don't know why. Other types followed, including a process for printing the images onto paper, but they remain technically difficult to reproduce, and also, <laughs> the chemicals, rather toxic. By 1850, a process for printing a negative image on a glass plate allowed multiple copies of the same photo to be produced on specially treated light-sensitive paper, and modern photography effectively began. In 1885, a dude by the name of George Eastman began selling a simple box camera with a roll of film inside containing 100 exposures that pretty much anyone could use to make a good enough photo, and the snapshot was born. Once you finish the roll, you ship the entire camera back to the company, which Eastman named Kodak because he thought the K sound was powerful, and then Kodak would send you back your pictures. With me so far? Affirmative. And this was how it was done for a long time. You sent off your film, and sometime later, you got your pictures back. Now, I could wax rhapsodic about the pleasures of waiting to see what your pictures look like when they came back, 
the joys of opening the envelope and the wave of memories you experienced when you flipped through the stack. And it was, uh, it was nice. At the same time, it was also really, it's a huge pain in the ass because most people are not very good photographers. I'm not talking about just technically like bad exposures, horrible composition and bad lighting. It's also just that they're bad at taking pictures. So any given roll of film, usually 24 exposures, would contain 10 photos so dark you couldn't tell what the subject was, five photos so overexposed by the flash that everything was just a blur of white, five more of closed eyes, yawns, and the dog shitting in the background, and that one kid that was always flipping the bird behind another kid's head, and two photos of thumbs, and two photos that were kind of what you were hoping to take a picture of in the first place. Never tell me the odds. Needless to say, this resulted in a lot of disappointed vacationers, birthday parents, and amateur pornographers. Not to mention, you had to pay for every roll of film and every bad photo developed on the roll of film, regardless of whether you wanted the print. In the early days, it cost a lot for the service, so it was a cash cow for Kodak. This left many people unhappy and with limited options. They could either learn how to take better photographs. Yeah, well, that's not gonna happen. Hire a professional photographer. Sounds expensive. Or just keep shoveling money into Kodak for two good pictures on a roll of 24, and that was the way things were for decades, until a guy by the name of Edwin Land came along. Now, old Ed was just a regular guy, born of immigrants, grew up tearing things apart to see how they worked, and attending a prestigious high school, and going to Harvard, and dropping out after the first year. Then he went to New York City, where he began working on an invention idea that he had at Columbia University. I mean, he wasn't attending Columbia, mind you. He was breaking in and using the lab late at night. Like you do. And what came out of this late-night illicit experiment was the kind of photographic film with millions of tiny polarizing crystals that responded to light. A few years later, he started a company to manufacture this new invention that would eventually became Polaroid in 19. 37. What Ed's crystal film could do that other films couldn't was produce a photographic image in minutes straight out of the camera. No more shipping your film off to Kodak for processing. You saw your image in minutes instead of days. Edwin Land was a genuine goddamn genius and invented a lot of things. But we're talking about the camera, not the goggles for dogs. I'm serious. Google goggles for dogs and Edwin Land. You'll see what I'm talking about. The original Land camera, as it was called, was... Fairly complex to operate, both it and the film were very expensive, but you loaded a sheet of film in the back of a large and bulky camera, you took the picture, removed the sheet film, went through a fairly complicated procedure to develop the image, voila, in a few minutes, you had the picture of the thing that you just took the picture of. It was popular in the early 1960s among photographers, but it was very much not for the home user. But in 1972... Polaroid released the SX-70, and for the first time, simple, easy to use, truly instant, and most importantly, color photograph was available for, for a price people could afford. Polaroid literally took the photo lab and embedded it in the film, then made a sophisticated camera that professional photographers adored so easy your mama could use it to take your pictures at your fifth birthday party and still get a decent picture of you. It swept the world almost instantly. From a 2018 article on CNN.com, quote, For acclaimed director and photographer Win Wim Wenders, who arrived in the USA from his native Germany that year, 
the SX-70 was the epitome of progress. The device was a technological marvel. For years, everybody would stand behind you and look at the little print, not only in amazement, but also in longing. Give me that thing, was a refrain you often heard. Kids especially went crazy. Today, we take it for granted that we can see everything immediately on our devices, but then it was nothing less than a cultural revolution. We all felt we were looking at the future, and we were. Polaroid photos exploded in popularity following the launch of the SX-70. Artists included David Hockney, Andy Warhol, Ansel Adams, all embraced the playful camera and pushed it to its technical limits. Between them, they produced collages, selfies, thousands of portraits, often front-on images focused square on the square's center, which became the format's signature composition, unquote. And while it was the, fam well, the famous adore the camera, it was the everyday shooter that it was really made for, and everyone had a Polaroid. You could not have any kind of family gathering without someone pausing the action while proclaiming, The Polaroid, I'll get the Polaroid. Even if you had a regular Kodak, you had to take a bunch of Polaroids as well because everyone wanted to see the pictures now. If you were a kid, Polaroids were like fucking magic. The button would click and then it would make that distinctive sound. And I would pop that familiar blue square on a white border that all the kids would fight to be the one to hold and shake until it developed. We all now know that it was unnecessary to shake the, and wave the picture. It was actually bad for the picture to do that. We did it anyway. Decades later, I got myself a vintage SX-70 and a pack of impossible film, and I took my first picture with it, and it popped out of the camera, and I stood there waving that goddamn thing like a moron because I couldn't fucking help myself. Polaroid had its own design aesthetic. I mean, not just the film, but the camera themselves. The designers of the cameras took into account the visual appeal of the physical device. The SX-70 folded neatly into a flat leather-bound case that looked futuristic, and yet at the same time, fashionably retro-chic. When the later generations of one-step cameras came out in the early 1980s, they reflected the bright neon rainbow colors that were so much the style palette of the 80s. They weren't fashion but they were fashionable. It's something that Apple would very much embrace some years later. Polaroid was very much considered the Apple of his day, of its day, and Steve Jobs idealized Edwin Land and the rainbow stripes in the Apple logo on an intentional homage to Polaroid. It's hard to research this topic today because so many articles purported to be about Polaroid are actually about Apple. And yes, it was the artist who really loved the medium that made it iconic in the collective memory of our culture today. Ansel Adams has been working with, Pol with Polaroid since the 40s and the 50s, but it was the artist of the 70s that elevated instant photography. Andy Warhol adored the format and worked extensively with Polaroid. Another mag.com wrote about Warhol, quote, Andy Warhol was rarely seen without his trusted SX-70 Polaroid camera. He was likely the first artist in history who took photographs and photographed equally in massive numbers. The pop artist Pinchon for instant image making in the mid-20th century might have paved the way for the exercise and self-branding prevalent on today's social media platforms. The selfie, one could deduce, wouldn't exist as it does without Warhol, unquote. Hero magazine wrote in an article about French artist Maripol, quote, when the Polaroid was released in their now legendary SX-70 model in 1972, the camera's compact all-in-one design quite literally clicked 
among young creative communities worldwide. Not only was it affordable and unobtrusive, its instant development facilitated a new kind of spontaneity and approach to image making that proved transformative. Nowhere in its impact better demonstrated than in New York during the 70s and 80s, when the camera's release chimed among the emergence of the city's burgeoning underground creative scene. With the company even providing likes of Robert Rauschenberg, Andy Warhol, free film, studio time via the artist support program. The period brought an unprecedented sense of intimacy. The milky Polaroid synonymous with the era. Chances are many were taken by Maripol, the French artist, designer, and certified queen of Polaroid, who arrived in New York in 1976 for a three-month holiday and never left. Along with her then-boyfriend and photographer, Ido Bertolio, Maripol found herself at the center of it all. Arm-in-arm arm with Grace Jones and the legendary, legendary Mud Club, Sir Snapping Basquiat at Studio 54 with an SX-70, unquote. To put it bluntly, Polaroid documented the 1970s. It was as much a part of the culture as disco music, platform souls, runaway inflation, gas lines, and Saturday Night Live. It was technology made personal and intimate, and it was a technology made available to everyone because of its affordability. And all of this made Polaroid something that in retrospect was uh, too beautiful to live. By the 1980s, Polaroid had reached that coveted, yet feared, market plateau, ubiquity. When Kodak made their run at Polaroid in the instant market, it was already too late for Polaroid. For all, it won its lawsuit. The company had saturated the instant camera market and long, and in doing so had diluted the brand to the point where Polaroid camera was no longer cutting at technology but cheap plastic crap that it was okay to give to your kids to play with because the camera was so cheap and the film was too. Much of the memory Gen Xers and early millennials have of Polaroids was having one of their own when they were kids that they used to take blurry photos of them and their friends doing stupid shit like trying to light their farts. And in what is probably a bad segue to make, Polaroids ubiquity was giving it kind of an unsavory reputation. Because you see, before cheap and easy instant photos... Risqué photos required either your own darkroom or a buddy with one because, you know, you couldn't just, uh... Can't exactly drop that stuff off at the neighborhood photo man. I mean, totally, people totally did do that. Just ask anyone who ever worked at a photo processing lab, but realistically, you were gonna need a hookup. So along came Polaroid, and now you can incorporate photo play into your lovemaking with no one the wiser, unless, of course, the kids went rooting through your sock drawer. It's horrible, I can't see that. And if you think your parents didn't do that... Well, my young friends, I urge you to think of what you may or may not but definitely do have on your phones and remember that we, who are your parents, were once your age. There were other forces at work from HistoryComputer.com, quote, Edwin Land left the company in 1981 and the company reached its peak in annual revenue later in a decade later in 1991. While they were raking $3 billion a year in their history, there was a more under the surface that wasn't so promising. Polaroid failed to see the signs. For one, the outside world of the 1980s had seemingly caught up with the Polaroid's technology. One-hour photography, competing instant cameras, disposable cameras, and videotaped camcorders were meeting or outright exceeding what the Polaroid camera was capable of, while they wouldn't truly begin to feel the heat until after the 1990s, unquote. Polaroid had tried and failed to create its own instant home video film market. An article on LinkedIn talks about it saying, quote, Similar to the first Polaroid camera, the instantaneous nature of the product was new and exciting, and the technology to bring it to life was, in was innovative. Unfortunately for Polaroid, the product hit the market late. 
Customers already had access to home video camcorders. Slow sales called Polaro- caused Polaroid to stop selling the product in 1979. Polaroid suffered a loss both in time invested but also in money spent, rumored to be around $15 million in 1979 money, unquote. $61 million for those of you playing along at home in your inflation-adjusted dollars. The final nail in Polaroid's coffin was very much what would go on to kill its rival, Kodak. Last analog device in a digital world. The irony being, of course, that Kodak invented digital photography. Neither company had the vision to see their analog pro- their analog product was on life support because for the moment, the money was still coming in. Polaroid, with his long history of innovation, completely pretended the market forces moving against it didn't exist, be it one-hour photo in every Walmart or the nascent digital photography revolution, and was happy to take the profits now without investing for the future. Play on CNBC, turtle? Yeah, because I got to tell you, this show hates capitalism. But even we have to bow to it from time to time for research material. By 2001, Polaroid was bankrupt. Kodak was faltering, and everyone was taking their nude titty photos on a digital camera. The world that Polaroid had built had left Polaroid behind. Because we do live in the world Polaroid built. Instant photography changed not only how we documented the world, but how we interacted with the world. Before the days of instant prints, you might take pictures of your vacations, your bar mitzvahs, your high school graduation, but these images were for personal consumption. A memento placed on sticky back photo albums and put on a shelf to be taken down when your parents wanted to embarrass you in front of a potential spouse. With Polaroid, we began sharing pictures of everything, be it snapshots of your friends on the, and you on the beach that got slapped on the wall of a dorm room, or naughty photos of naked bodies to tide over parted lovers until they met again. Because we could have these images instantly, they became things we shared in the moment, and because they were physical objects, they seemed more tangible than memories or something that came back from the lab weeks later. It changed what we took pictures of as well. In the days of film rolls and lab processing, you had to pick and choose your subjects because their creation took time. But swapping out a film pack and a Polaroid took seconds. The time it took to reload was instant as well. We took goofy shots of people doing handstands in backyards or chugging beers in the bar. We took pictures of random objects and we, yes, we even took pictures of our food. Though, not with the abandon we do today. Polaroid film was cheap, not free. The rugged plastic boxes that were Polaroids meant we could take the camera in places we would never risk an expensive 35mm camera. So we had photos of canoes capsizing in muddy football games. Our day-to-day lives were documented and shared in a way that is utterly familiar to anyone today with a cell phone. But prior to Polaroid, we just never imagined it. And if you think I'm going all Don Draper here... Nostalgia. It's delicate. Well, hello, welcome to my podcast. What Polaroid did was pair nostalgia with instant gratification. Something we didn't even know we wanted until Edwin Land came along and gave it to us. And if I've sounded a bit wistful, well, I am. I love photography and I love Polaroids, which have been reborn today and people still find the same pleasure in holding on and waving it gently to help it develop faster. Break one out at a party and young and old will still gather around just to watch the image of what they literally just saw appear in that square and glow in a way that looking at ones and zeros on a phone will never, ever recreate. Because that is the magic of a Polaroid. And I, for one, 
hope that it never fades. But all that being said, if you should ever come across a pile of old Polaroids and anything owned by your parents, just uh, just tread carefully, pod friends. You might find magic, but more likely, you'll just find your mom's tits. <laughs> that is it for our show this week. Oh, it's one of those square peg and round hole episodes that we do from time to time that is both broad and specific, and it's there to let you know that we just crammed it together because we have something really big coming up that's taking all of our attention. So, you know, you should be on the lookout for that. Rate and review the show wherever you get your pods so people can find us like they find that blurry Polaroid of their dad's junk in an old Reader's Digest cleaning out the family home. I still remember the first dad dick I saw. And be equally horrified. You want us to kick us a dollar for film developing? Hit us up on patreon.com slash whatthehellpodcast. Now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Do all the things Jeremy tells you to do in the closing. Otherwise, he will have no choice but to show you those Polaroids of Gavin's third birthday. No one, no one wants to see them. And so for me, Dave, could you want to take my picture, Bledsoe? Producer, they just keep saying something over and over again about an aeroplane. Gavin and all the fictional film shakers on this show, we want to say, you know... When they screamed, hey, Dad, what do you think about your son now? Do you you think he's seen a naked Polaroid of his dad? And we'll see you all next week. What the Hell Were You Thinking stars Dave Bledsoe and features Gavin St. James and several fictional minions. The show is produced by Kimberly Steele and a part of the Seltzer Kings Podcast Network. You can find more information on the show on their website, whatthehellpodcast.com, or on Twitter at thehell underscore podcast, or on Facebook as What the Hell Podcast. Thanks for listening. 
I have no ending for this, so I take a small bow. I made coffee through Desert Storm. Seltzer Kings Podcasts.